Now on Netflix. Inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and in select theaters. Rated R. Welcome back to Dragging the Dead, the only show that aims to speak ill of the dead. I am Tim, back here with Lance and Jen. What's up, legends? What is going on? It's It's been too long. It's been far too long since we have reconvened to drag dead people. What is that accent, Lance? I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's Friday. I'm feeling loose. To reconvene. Reconvene. I'm, I feel like I'm in dark shadows. <laughs> yeah. Barnabas Collins. What's up, Jen? How much? <laughs> but for now, we're dragging dead people. And in this show, we each brought a person with us and the others don't know who they are. And so it's going to be a surprise. And we're going to we're going to rebut whoever is trying to drag some dead, some poor dead person. Did you say butt? He said butt. <laughs> it's a full rebuttal. Full rebuttal. So we're left to our own devices. For example, Jen will bring somebody to the table. Tim will bring somebody to the table. And the respective people will have to just rely on their own knowledge of said person or uh, Bing right here on the spot in real time. Sometimes a painful process. It sure is. Um, all right. So who's up first? Jen. Jennifer. Let's hear it. Who you got? My person was a silver screen star in the 1930s, a documentarian in the 1940s, and then an underwater filmmaker in the early 2000s. Jacques Cousteau. Incorrect. James Cameron. Incorrect. Grace Kelly. No. Grace <laughs> Kelly... It is not Grace Kelly. <laughs> Werner Herzog. A woman. I'll give you that. A woman did something in the 40s? Yeah, I know. It's fucking crazy. All right. Who is she? It is none other than the horrible Lenny Riefenstahl. <laughs> it's on the tip of my tongue. Oh, the German film director. Yeah. Helene, Bertha, Amelie, Lenny. Riefenstahl. I'm I'm so glad that you had her full name memorized. I too would change that mouthful. Brilliant artist. I mean, you've kind of buried the lead here with that. She she did revolutionize um, documentary filmmaking. I will give her that. Uh, but she was one of Hitler's favorite. You may not recognize her name, but she was the filmmaker behind the legendary propaganda film triumph of the will i'm still trying to find her online how do you spell this lenny never heard of it that one must have been a uh, a stinker a, a real clunker at the at the box office so most footage that you've seen of hitler and the nazi party came from triumph of the will any shots you see of hitler in his car driving around nuremberg people cheering him on 
shots of him below waving to the crowd, flags, Nazi flags flying, people marching in formation, all Lenny Riefenstahl. You say Nazi propagandist and I say historian. I say keeper of the records. I say without her, we wouldn't know how bad things were. Good point. And we don't know what side she was on, truly. Uh-huh. She could have been playing the long con. Just gonna choose choose my virtual background here. Jen, I'm sorry. I think we should skip this segment. Oops. There she is standing right next to Hitler. I think that's a deep fake. I mean, I stand next to a lot of people I don't like. So Lenny Riefenstahl got her start in uh, movie making as an Alpine film star. She was actually um, like a kind of the first action star. She did all of her own stunts and like climbed mountains and stuff. And then she made a film called Das Blaulicht, where she played some kind of like fairy in a mountain where everybody hated Lenny and they like chased her up a mountain and she was like the guardian of some kind of magic stone or whatever. Mm-hmm. And that, of course, everyone knows that translates to the blue light. And it's uh, a good one. It's a classic. Classic. You've seen it. Oh, my God. So many times. We're having a viewing party. I have the poster. So so after after um, World War II, Lenny Riefenstahl was obviously lambasted for her, um, I guess, being what they call a fellow traveler and for her work. Uh, propagating the Nazi message of hatred. So she said she was disgusted that her footage was used in Triumph of the Will as propaganda. But uh, I don't know that you that you didn't know was propaganda if you are using imagery in this way. You're either a genius or you're not. Yeah, I get what you're saying there that, hey, she was smart enough to do these things, uh, very talented, very driven and artistic, and it would be kind of tough for her to produce these propaganda style pieces without realizing the propaganda behind it you know what maybe maybe she really did want to preserve history perhaps but i'll draw your attention to another incident <laughs> okay so so this has been a running theme throughout lenny's life she's like claims that she didn't know about the holocaust which is a claim of a lot of, a lot of German citizens and a lot of like um, high-ranking officials within the the Nazi party. They didn't know that they were actually killing Jews. Like who did know that they were killing Jews and other people in Germany? Who knows? But okay, so in 1942, at the height of World War II, uh, Lenny was busy working on a film called Tiefland, and um, not entirely sure what the plot was, but it was basically about. Uh, some Spanish gypsy type people but she went to a Salzburg concentration camp and she got a bunch of Romani people out of this camp to be used as extras in her film and then put them back in the camp they were later exterminated in Auschwitz I thought I thought we were going Schindler with it, and I was like, "Okay, all right, I see what's happening here." And then she just used them as extras. Well, did they get a credit? Are they on IMDb? I mean, <laughs> I mean, at least they she could have left them a legacy in that way. But I, I choose to focus on how great of an artist she was overall. I mean, she was just such a 
a career woman. She was an athlete. She, like you said, filmmaker. I mean, gosh, if we cancel her, what's next? What are we going to cancel Roman Polanski and Woody Allen? Certainly not. They're men. <laughs> Why? What's going on with Woody Allen? <laughs> exactly. He just makes amazing films. Nothing. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And he's alive currently. Right. He's not dead. Definitely not. He's untouchable. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> I don't know. So she, she, um, was actually taken to court in 2002. She led a, a long, long life. She was like lived to over a hundred and she was like, I didn't know. I didn't know all this shit was happening. I was busy making my movies, even though it's complicit in this like horrible thing that happened. But in 2002, she was taken to court by the Roma people when she was a hundred years old. And she said that she didn't know that the Romani people would be taken to Auschwitz. And she got away with it again. She was not indicted. I guess they couldn't prove it. She, they just let her keep making her underwater uh, movies about fish. So there you go. This segment was totally useless. It's all just speculation. I mean, it's proven in a court of law. You know what? I think I, I sent a little jealousy. I feel like I feel like if Jen were alive during the time of a extreme dictatorship... I feel like she would have been first in line with her camera ready. <laughs> I think there's a little bit of uh, envy here. I think you might be onto something there, Lance. Oh, man. That's a deep dig because you're probably right. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm just here with my camera, member of the press. I mean, if, if, if Trump came to you and was like, hey, I'm running for president in 2016. Jen, I saw your website. Suitcase Jane Doe is my passion. Grab your camera. You're gonna you're gonna you're gonna be with me. You're gonna be my girl. In this scenario, is he perpetrating a genocide? Who knows? Maybe. Oh, okay. <laughs> Who knows? Then I would be complicit and I would admit it. Well, I'm glad we came full circle. <laughs> well, let me tell you about my person. My person is a real son of a bitch. American industrialist even, born in 1863, also lived a long life till the 40s. Some people call him a pioneer, but I call him an, a, a racist asshole. Any guesses? Wow, someone who was alive in the 1840s and was a racist asshole. Mm. Anyone? <laughs> yeah. J.P. Morgan. Ooh, good guess. Good guess. That's along the same lines. You're, you're barking up the right tree. Westinghouse. No, Westinghouse is a great guy. Yeah, he was behind Tesla. This POS was the chief developer of the assembly line. Eli Whitney. (laughs) Close. Ford. Henry Ford it is. Henry Ford. Henry Ford. All right, all right. Hit me with some Henry Ford because all I, I hear Ford, I hear America. Okay, well, he, he, of course, a lot of people think of the assembly line, they think of Henry Ford, and it was one of his big successes de- developed in 1913. Um, it really revolutionized mass production, but it was really, I would argue, a total failure. With his assembly line, his terrible, terribly produced cars, Fords, they only took 93 minutes to assemble. I mean, what kind of, what kind of vehicle can you actually have in that time? 93 minutes. So I could watch I could watch The Godfather and have two cars made. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It was made very cheap and very quick, but uh they really required constant maintenance and repair and the costs of that far outweighed uh what would have been what money what would have been better spent on a uh a more expensive car. I hear Ford and I hear 
innovation. I hear Ford. I hear a revolution. Transportation exploded. People were able to get to point A to point B much faster than they had previously. Productivity went through the roof. I mean, and he also has one of the, one of the best quotes ever, which just from memory, I'm going to get it wrong, but he said, if, if you asked people before the automobile how they would how to improve transportation, they would say, get a faster horse. So he was a forward thinker. Also had ties to the uh, Nazi Nazi Germany. Had a had a uh, plant in Germany. Well, someone's got to pay for it. Prisoners of war, French prisoners of war, working as uh, slave laborers, ended up being a violation of the Geneva Convention of 1929. I mean, those were just loose rules back then. The Geneva Convention was more like you know suggestions. He also released uh, an, an anti-Semitic newspaper uh, and a book, a book called The International Jew. That's a fact. Jews are all over the world. <laughs> right. Maybe he, maybe the, I feel like that book was just a, an, a, you know, paying some homage, like some, you know, ladies and gentlemen, may I present to you The International Jew. I think that's great. Well, it was mostly about how Jewish financiers cause all the world's wars and uh, sort of blame them for every problem in the world. That's problematic. But the F-150, the F-150, I mean, everyone needs a friend who has an F-150. <laughs> Especially when you have to move. Especially when you have to move. I mean, where am I going to put my giant American flag decal? I certainly can't put it on the back window of any car and my nra sticker right what is, is that gonna go on my my horse you guys ever have one of those jobs where they made you buy a uniform and like pay the company back like the and like way overcharge you for like this crappy polo it's like 40 bucks for a polo yes definitely crawlspace media <laughs> I still don't have a t-shirt. Well, speaking of innovation, I'd like to think that Henry Ford actually invented this uh, this idea because he he paid his workers well, yes, but he actually sort of made them uh, buy his own cars, which, as we already covered, were uh, dangerous. Um, they led to many accidents. So his strategy was to pay his workers enough so they could each buy one of his cars, uh, which they spent their days building. And this required keeping the price of cars low. And he also went to violent measures to suppress labor unions. So he really, uh, really, real pioneer. I, I got to say, I think the um, I think the argument that these cars were poorly made might have some truth to it. But I want to say no one was driving cars before then. I think there's some truth to, hey, I don't know how to drive a frigging car. I've never seen it before. I don't know what to do with this thing. So, you know, maybe a little bit of user error there and maybe a little bit of uh, working out the kinks on the assembly line kind of coalesced for a dangerous experience <laughs> when driving a car, uh, especially a first car. Um, you know, and it's very typical for a company to require you to buy the product. I mean, who hasn't worked at... Hollister. They want you to wear their clothes. Is Hollister still around? Yeah, I'm in there every weekend. <laughs> I could see that. They don't have any lighting in their stores. That's why people buy the clothes. They can't see them. Yeah, no one, yeah that's, that's by design as well. Hmm. Well, I found another uh, amazing fact about Henry Ford. Apparently in 1915, at the height of World War I, 
Ford gathered up a bunch of fellow pacifists and tried to get a bunch of people to sail to Europe on the peace ship to end World War One. Didn't end up doing it, but uh, the intention was there. Big time failure. Joke. I mean, I didn't even bring it up because it was such a, it was, I felt like it was such an embarrassment for him personally. Pacifism is nice. Well, good point. Good point. I agree the idea of pacifism uh, in stopping World War One with a boat somehow driving across the Atlantic inexplicably, uh, you know, basically just a waste of time, though. Publicity stunt. Not even though he didn't do it. I do believe the world leaders at the time recognized that as a sign that the war had just gone too far. <laughs> Indeed. He was also extremely forward thinking. If I mean, this is evidenced by the whole car thing, but he also built the first airport hotel. Genius. Brilliant. All right. Well, I'll give him that. Brilliant businessman. Yeah. Just in case you get stranded. I mean, it's better than sleeping on the floor of the airport. Did the employees of the hotel, were they required to live at the hotel and pay the hotel fees? <laughs> <laughs> I think so. I think I've got that here in my notes. <laughs> he also designed a flying car. Yeah. And it failed and injured people. Duh. <laughs> <laughs> Total bust. Crashed right into the ocean, and the pilot's body was never found. So, that didn't end too well. Well, got to make omelets. <laughs> Apparently, he was also the deity in Aldous Huxley's satirical classic, Brave New World. He's not named in it, is he? Uh, my Lord is my Ford. What? In the book. I'm done. I retire. I'm, <laughs> I'm retiring again. He also really believed in rubber and thought rubber would eventually uh, take over um, other products like um, plastic and even trees in some case. You ever heard of our Fordlandia? Wait, rubber does come from a tree. Yeah, well, he planted rubber trees. That didn't really work out. Once again, a huge failure. This rubber tree will, <laughs> will replace trees. Was it supposed to grow tires? <laughs> I think so. <laughs> I mean, what, one could argue that uh, his only success was publicity. Um, and in the twenties, he, uh, he brokered a deal with the Brazilian government and he got 2.5 million acres of their land to build this town called Fordlandia for the workers of, of Brazil. And he hired Brazilian workers to work in the town and work for his company. But things went south when he imposed a series of harsh rules because he was a big time asshole. He said no alcohol, women, tobacco, or football. Yeah, the soccer, the soccer version. Oh, women. Yeah, they were banned in Fordlandia. What fun is Fordlandia? With the, you're surrounded by rubber trees that are all unnaturally planted, and you can't drink, you can't smoke, you can't hang out with women, uh, and you can't even you can't even watch soccer being played. I think he's just trying to instill a good work ethic. Sounds gay. <laughs> I'll give it to him about soccer, though. Uh, that that sport sucks. Not to the Brazilians. <laughs> but the final straw came when the workers rebelled and uh and they just they they hated the american food actually was really the last that's what put them over the top <laughs> they were okay with the rubber uh trees and the, and the no soccer but uh yeah they said F this when uh when they said no more no more cheeseburgers and french fries wow what year was this in the 20s Okay, yeah, I, I can imagine that the American cuisine was probably not to the point where a Brazilian would eat it and say, this is so much better than what I have in my lush environment. Like jelly meatloaf. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so that's it. He's he's a piece of shit. Uh, but still, Ford F-150. 
Well, guys, I was going to, I had someone all lined up. I had two people lined up. And I tried really hard to find something, really hard to find something on, on both of them. It didn't pan out. The first one was Fred Rogers. Sorry, can't find it. I w- can't even make up something about him. There's not even anything close. And the, the other one was uh, Julia Child. I was like, oh, Julia Child would be great to do. No, she's a wonderful woman. She's always been a wonderful woman. She lived to be like 91 years old, loyal, worked her ass off. I mean, I, I, there's no way I could find anything bad about them. What is this, praising the dead? No, I'm saying all of the evil I was looking for in these two seemed to be channeled into the person I actually found. Who is that? Well, you're very familiar with this person whose likeness will be hopefully permanently replaced in the year 2030. You will never see this person's face on the $20 bill again. Andrew Jackson. Andrew Jackson. I mean, do we even need... Good Good luck trying to defend this guy. I fold. One of the worst presidents. Like, where do you even start with this guy? One of the worst presidents ever. A slaver, a tyrant, an ethnic cleanser. I mean... Okay. <laughs> okay. I mean, try. Try. Uh, you digging a hole here. All right. Yeah. I didn't dig the hole. He dug the hole. He dug many holes and he put many people in them. All right. But he was uh, quite a revolutionary and uh, really. He founded the Democratic Party, though. Right. See? He was known as the People's President. Yes, yes. The, the Democratic Party, uh, Abraham Lincoln was also a Republican, so times do change. <laughs> Andrew Jackson was like, hmm, you know what we need? We need to take native tribes and we need to run them out of town. We need to embark on what is now known as the Trail of Tears. Hard to defend that. Oh, Lance, why did you do this to us? I know, I'm yeah. sorry. You've kind of checkmated us here. <laughs> checkmated. <laughs> I went too far, right? See, this what is like happened? bringing Hitler to the table. Oh, yeah. What happened was I was going for Fred Rogers, and then I, you know, it all just channeled into one really... Okay, why is there even a portrait of Andrew Jackson on the $20 bill? Because he was incredibly handsome. I mean, you can't even argue that. The guy is the guy is good looking. He's got Kennedy hair before the Kennedys. He was sharp. <laughs> he was sharp looking. Well dressed. He was a, he was a sharp dresser. I'll I'll give him that. And there is a lot of debate. There's a lot of debate whether he he did very good things or or very bad things. Um I mean he 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 did attack attack the banking system. He did he was trying to make uh, government small. So, you know, you could maybe go for that, but uh I mean, it's it's really tough to get over the ethnic cleansing and how everyone just kind of went along with it. He was an American, Lance. He was paving the way for America. He first he he had to get rid of the British too, though. He didn't discriminate. He uh, he executed British people, right? You know, boom. He said, "Boom. This is Amer- this is America. You back the fuck up." That's a direct quote. Yeah. <laughs> you want to. Getting off of the uh, ethnic cleansing and Trail of Tears topic, in 1835, uh, at the height of his slave-owning uh, existence, he owned hundreds of slaves. 
he worked with the Postmaster General to censor and destroy anti-slavery mailings. So he was working hand-in-hand with the Postmaster General to eliminate any mailing that would be working, uh, that would be coming from Northern abolitionists. So any any writings, any any sort of distribution of information that had any sort of anti-slavery message to it, Andrew Jackson would intervene and it would not reach its destination. How is this man even elected president? Well, I'm speaking from 2021. I mean, back then it was probably pretty easy to elect him president. He's uh, he's is responsible for creating the first presidential cabinet, though, a group of advisors. Well, that's a smart idea. We have that um, practice now because of Andrew Jackson. I will. That is a point for him. That is a point for him. Well done. He probably surrounded himself with bastards, though. Yeah, that's a fair point, Most too. Most likely. But two states were admitted into the Union during his presidency. One could argue, uh, debate their value, but uh, Arkansas and Michigan. <laughs> <laughs> well, without Michigan, we wouldn't have Henry Ford. That's true. That's true. Or the Detroit Pistons. Or the Detroit Pistons. And without Arkansas, we wouldn't have... Kansas. (laughs) Jackson's mission to exterminate the Native Americans, I I feel like people don't understand that he was even a part of this before he became president. That he was was hardcore into that uh, before his presidency. Um, From 1815 to 1920... He served as a federal treaty commissioner uh, dealing with Southern Indians. And his job was to persuade tribes by means or foul to sell to the United States their property. Not only get off the property, but you need to sell it so that it's all legal. Georgia, Mississippi, Alabama. And the reason why I'm stressing the sale of the property is because he had a stake in that money. So it wasn't just you're not socially equal to us and you're not uh, morally equal. That transaction made him money, too. But he was handsome. He was 6'1". He had deeply penetrating, deep blue eyes. He was thin, 130, 140. He had that real, like a shock of red in his hair, and he was tough. He suffered from chronic headaches, abdominal pains, and just a hacking cough. A pleas- a pleasurable guy to be around. A hacking cough. And a, hacking a lot of that, cough. yeah, a lot of that was caused because he had a uh, he had a musket ball in his lung that was never removed. <laughs> Sometimes he would cough up blood, and uh, it would make his whole body shake. This guy was a tough dude. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Well, he he also indirectly influenced the Civil War by uh, supporting the uh, expulsion of the Native Americans. That, in turn, sort of confirmed his support of the cotton industry in the South. It indirectly increased and and, uh, further divided the country, showing the contrast between the cotton rearing south and the industrial north he was really integral in causing that divide to widen well he left it all on the field you know and and he really didn't have any regrets from being president but he did have one he did have one and he admit or he actually had two but uh one of them he he admitted to on his last day of his presidency and i quote 
he regretted that he had been un- unable to shoot Henry Clay or, or to hang John Calhoun. <laughs> and on his deathbed, he doubled down on Calhoun. He said he regretted yeah. he did not hang him for treason. <laughs> he, this guy was a vindictive son of a bitch. He had a musket ball in his... Here's a, here's a fun fact. On December 16th, 1814, I'm getting this from a Vox article, uh, Jackson declared martial law provoking an immediate backlash on civil civil liberties grounds. Despite constitutional irregularity, Jackson imposed a nine o'clock curfew that required everyone entering and exiting the city had to be vetted by the military. Yeah, that's safe. Safety. It, yeah, that's what's the difference between that and like, uh, you know, Simply Safe uh, alarm service these days. That is a great point. Simply Jackson. Email us at crawlspacepodcast uh, at gmail.com. Simply Safe. We're available for sponsor reads. This was a freebie. <laughs> it's true. You mentioned that he uh, was regretful for not killing people. Andrew Jackson killed some of his own men anyway. He, he, he murdered people. He killed some of his own men for petty infractions. While in charge of New Orleans, six militiamen who had tried to leave before their term of service expired were executed in Mobile, Alabama, under his orders. A draconian action at the time. It's treason. You can't leave. You can't go AWOL. There was no war. Doesn't matter. You take an oath. He was an executioner, a slaver, an ethnic cleanser. And he was economically illiterate. And it's inexplicable that he's on the 20. Bring on Harriet Tubman. For the next Dragging the Dead. <laughs>